Kiara. Welcome to Voices of Resilience Radio. That's right. Welcome to Voices of Resilience Radio. This show provides real stories of resilience and post-traumatic growth from real people, including myself, who have lived through childhood sexual abuse to help shine a light of hope for others on their healing journeys. Additionally, this show provides research on the topics of resilience and post-traumatic growth and chapters of my book, Bright, are woven between episodes. This show does not take a deficit approach, but rather the aim is to amplify guests' resilient strategies and their healing journeys. It's not what is wrong, it's what is strong, as a woman who shared her resilient story once said. Although the intended audience is for people of all diversities, backgrounds, and genders who have experienced childhood sexual abuse, this includes adolescents, those who have experienced sexual abuse and other types of trauma may also find the information helpful. Additionally, counselors, psychotherapists, psychologists, and people from other types of supporting professions may also find the information valuable and insightful. If you'd like to be part of the show, please contact me from my website at chrissygilmore.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-S-Y-G-I-L-L-M-O-R-E.com. I hope you find this show truly inspiring and motivating. This episode is not suitable for children to listen to or overhear. The intent is to focus on resilience, healing, and post-traumatic growth. However, there may be mention of childhood sexual abuse and trauma, so listeners, please be gentle on yourself and take extra good care of your body, spirit, mind, your entire being while listening. Kia ora whanau. This is Chrissy Gilmore, Voices of Resilience Radio. Hey, I just wanted to let you know that this first episode is my first interview with a guest and her name is Ashley. I forgot, I completely forgot to uh, say that. So yes, thank you for listening and enjoy the show. So welcome to Voices of Resilience Radio. Thank you for taking part in this show and thank you for showing your brevity here and getting out of your comfort zone a wee bit, I'm guessing. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, so I've got your form here and I'm, I've gone through it. And what I was thinking we could do is we could talk about what you outlined because mm-hmm. the form in itself is kind of a good way to, you know, just kind of think of how you've used resilience before. Mm-hmm. Because it's not something we often go, huh, how have I used resilience? I didn't yeah. even know I did that. So how did you find the form? What did you filling out the form yeah Mm. it was a really it was a really interesting experience because I guess when asking myself those questions Mm. and having to write it out especially the what does resilience mean to you and what types of resilience did you use yeah um I guess I wrote down a whole bunch of things but never really looked at them as resilient strategies or Mm. um yeah I guess Hmm. strengths of mine so it was actually really really powerful just to actually answer the questions write it all down and be like oh my god these these are actually really great tools that have allowed me to get 
here today. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And it's not like it's a something that we think about, is it? No. We're not no. thinking this is resilience. I'm going to do this because this is resilience. Mm. And I feel like a big, big part of a big part of it all, mm-hmm. especially I find with myself, is that I don't really stop and look back. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't stop to go, oh my God, look at these things that I've used or look at these things that I've achieved or look mm-hmm. at these things that I've learned um, because I'm so focused on just just getting through, you know, just surviving, yeah. of just, just getting through mm-hmm. whatever it is that I need to be going through. Um, and so it's really refreshing to be able to actually stop and look back and go, damn, I'm strong. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. To kind of... Yeah, no kidding, eh? And to glance back and go, holy crap, how did I do that? How did I yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it sounds like you feel really proud because you can see what you've achieved. Oh, totally. And I'm sure this isn't even all of it. It's just, this is an hour form, so. Yeah, yeah. This was a very, oh, I hope I've included all the things, but yeah. I, I don't know. Um mm. Yeah, it was, it was really nice, actually. It was a really nice exercise in itself. <laughs> good. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. So your first one, um, are you, oh, I also wanted to make a note here that you have your own podcast. Did you want to talk a wee bit about your own podcast? Would that be all right? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I have a podcast called Brown Babes Unite, um, and it's a podcast with another survivor and I and I guess both being Fiji Indian women we kind of thought it was important to talk about um our journeys and mm. healing and I, I guess what it looks like with the cultural lens as well mm. uh, just to kind of get get out there that there are brown babes who have also experienced mm-hmm. child sexual abuse or whatever it is mm. um, and that this happens because it, it really is a big topic that isn't talked about yeah, in our yeah. communities, whether it's Fijian Indian communities or India Indian communities. Um, yeah, we just we just don't talk about it. No, no, and that's right. And it's good to we need to use our voices. Like our, that's our, one of our greatest tools is our voice. And Absolutely. this, you know, in this childhood sexual abuse, it breeds in silence, and that's why mm-hmm. it's so crucial that we that we speak out and talk about what's strong man you know it's not what's wrong it's what's strong what's yeah yeah definitely I love that me too I didn't make that up it was from a research paper but yeah 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 it's it's been resonating with me it's a good AI yeah it's powerful it's totally yeah so I so if you're okay with it and I don't want to talk too much about this are you okay to talk about what happened to you a time like a little bit just to give us context yeah just to give us a wee bit of context if that's okay okay with you yeah yeah so um when I was five uh my family moved from New Zealand to Fiji um Mm -hmm. and I experienced some childhood sexual abuse between five and just before seven before Mm -hmm. we moved back to New Zealand okay Mm -hmm. um yeah so that was also by someone that was known Mm. my family um but not in my family actually mm-hmm. um and then when I was in my teens I was raped at 16 um and that was also by someone 
that we knew. Uh, mm. But there was a lot of guilt and a lot of shame around that because as a 16-year-old and with conservative parents, I had snuck out of home at night time. And so for however many years, I kind of just really thought it was my fault. Your fault, right. Yes. And yeah. of course, absolutely not. It's never, ever anyone's fault. And yeah. 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 Sounds yeah. like that was a big part of um, the healing Mm. possibly too yeah yeah definitely mm. I think because it, it's really I think it's just really hard and like especially from my background and in my culture there's such a strong idea of what what a woman should be you know and especially because it's so tied to like virginity and being self-sacrificing and putting others needs first and so you know, you put all of those layers on top of what I experienced at six to, mm. and, and then again at 16, it just kind of reinforced these ideas that I wasn't enough. Mm. Um, and yeah, that, that does a lot to you developmentally, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, mm. I would say so. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, and there's debate around virginity as well and how that's actually you know, sadly, it's it's incredibly sad when it happens to anyone um, when they have that taken from them. Mm -hmm. And there's a thought that that we get to choose who we give our virginity to. Huh. Yeah. And I heard when I heard that, I thought that's powerful. You know, that's our choice. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Mm, so that gave me goosebumps. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't make that up, but that's um that was powerful when I heard that. It's like that's empowering. You know, that's <laughs> mine. That's mine to give away. I get to write my story. This is my story and I'm the author. So mm. I got goosebumps too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just taking back that power, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and we know that it's about power and control. And it's, you know, it's it's just us taking that back. You know, mm -hmm. we get to write how the story is. We get to write and narrate today. We get to mm -hmm. focus on what is our strengths. And we don't get to, we don't have to live under this lens, this deficit lens, because that's yeah. not us. If we're here, we're full of strength. Damn straight. Woo! <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess um what do you think what does resilience mean to you? you I really I really struggled with this yeah. question. It is um, I, yeah. And I think a big part of that is also like I, I I've been in therapy for five years and I don't really feel like we've we've kind of I mean maybe it's been more subtle mm. of like looking at my strengths, but I don't think I've actually really explored what resilience mm. means to me. Right. Um, so like I've read it in research, <laughs> I, I, but not necessarily explored it for myself. Um, mm. And what I had written was that mm. I guess resilience to me was all the things that I had disregarded wow. as being strengths of mine. Wow. Because you said that's exactly the things that you disregarded. So what do you mean by that? That's math. That's huge. So these things that kept you going, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, like 
a big, big, big go-to thing of mine was music, right? Um, I would spend hours just creating music, whether that was playing the piano or the flute or composition and coming up with my own singing songs and whatnot. Mm. Um, but, you know, there was always like, it was always looked down on, well, not by my family, because my family are very musical, but like by other people as like, oh yeah, you're just like the the emotional depresso kid of course you're in music you know so it's all these connotations of like these Mm -hmm. things that were hugely important to me and now I can look back and go that you know those things were resilience building for me um and they kept going Mm. yeah but there was also just like so much judgment around it that I never really stopped to see that they were you know really powerful strengths of mine (laughs) Yeah. Because I kept trying to hide them. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair play. So you kept trying to hide them and they kept you going at the same time. Yeah. And maybe sometimes this is another thing because we often use this negative lens in our culture. You know, there was this one study of Asian women and I can't remember the name of the study. And I, got, I did this through my research project mm-hmm. and they use silence as a form of resilience. I think I read that. (laughs) You read that. Yeah. 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 And yeah. And sometimes it's like maybe having that ability to hide something is a form of power too. Wow. Because we see so much in that deficit lens. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's just, that's what I mean by we are seeing through this deficit lens, not completely, but it's, it's just kind of resonates through healing you know the the really um, does yeah it does and it's like well why is that a negative that you were hiding something that's Mm. you know important to you that was your choice and you kept some power yeah well in my opinion but I Mm. think also a big part of that is like I come from like the the family that I come from we're all very used to like hard work Mm. (laughs) um you know, we we were brought on the boats from England to Fiji when the the government happened. Um, so we we are really hard workers, and I think mm-hmm. so. That was just kind of a given that, you know, I don't care what you've got going on, you're going to get the work done, or you're going to achieve the things, you're going to do the things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess also looking at resilience, it's something that hard work and that like ethic mm-hmm. to kind of get through things and really push myself is something that has really been handed down to me from my ancestors. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So within your culture, this determination to, to persevere and to keep going and to put one step in front of, in front of the other. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think because coming from like a minority group, the idea is like we do everything for the next generation. You know, wow. you you have the struggle so that your children won't. And wow. I, I know that's also something that is, you know, shared by many cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, just that idea of like, this is just what we do. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. We don't look back. This is what we do, you know, and, and it's interesting because it says, I really like this definition of resilience from Ben, Ben Breda or something like that. Anyways, 2018. And he says, resilience is the multi-level process processes that systems engage in 
to get better than expected outcomes in the face or wake of adversity. Mm. And it's kind of like a barrier in a way or a shield. Mm. Yeah. That you put around you to just keep going. Yeah. 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 And, and it's, it can pretty much be everything that's positive that we kind of engage in and it's very specific to cultures you know individual and like in, in actual cultures and groups of people mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting because resilience and in your answers here with the web form there's a lot of post-traumatic growth i wanted to kind of get into that as well in in what you've said here if that's okay with you yeah. too okay yeah, totally yeah yeah exactly yeah so what type so the next part is what type of resilience did you use in your childhood and or adolescence to support you did you want to talk a little bit about that yeah I feel like I could talk so much on this now okay okay now that I recognize these as resilience tools yeah um so I think the first one would have to be creativity um again i feel like this is somewhere that like i absolutely love my culture as well because music and dance forms are just a given Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you know it's just kind of something that you do as a kid um even at prayers and things like that um you know, people would get up and dance and would sing together and chant together. And so that was a very, I guess, a a huge one um, was creativity. So I played a number of instruments and did singing um, and did some ballroom dancing and Latin dancing and Indian Paratnatyam, which is Indian classical dancing um, and salsa. And now I do pole, which I absolutely love. But Yeah. yeah, just... I think by using dance and music, I was, especially in my teens, I was able to express a lot of things that had no words or that I wasn't able to verbalize. So yeah, maybe, maybe Mm. it is the, the use of silence that you talk about. Mm. If I was able to keep that silence because I was still getting things out through music and dance. Yeah. You could get it out. You could work it through your, your body and, um, and it kept you going. Yeah. It was something that you could look, you know, that, that kept you going forwards in a way. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. And hmm. because music and dance was kind of a way that I would connect with my family too. And so if there was like, you know, I couldn't tell them my story. I couldn't tell them the truth. I, you know, so I was hiding myself from them. Hmm. But I got to connect with them when we sang together, when we danced together. Hmm. Um, and so actually looking back, that is like one of my, my moments that I remember really feeling like I belong in my family. Right. So you belonged mm. and you could connect with them. And there would be a lot of um, feelings that would be there as well. Because when you're dancing and you're interacting with a lot of people, it's quite, it, was it quite festive or what was the atmosphere yeah, like? Yeah. So usually, usually it would be at like one of the, I guess, birthday prayers of one of the gods. Um, And so it's a celebration because it's a birth. Um, And so I started playing this Indian instrument called the harmonium when I was seven. Um, And so at our prayer groups, I'd usually be the one playing the instrument and singing and like kind of leading it. And so that everyone else could read and dance and sing. And so 
I have really fond memories of playing mm. the music mm. and watching my family dance. <laughs> oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like you're almost orchestrating this in a way, you yeah. know? If you didn't have the yeah. music, then people might not be dancing. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, so, like, I guess just, like, this huge way of, like, feeling be- feeling a sense of belonging mm, to yeah. yeah that sense of belonging yeah definitely yeah yes, I and I think that. there's also something super powerful about being in a room full of people who have I guess similar intentions of mm-hmm. like being there to that faith I guess that faith right. and there's right. like you know no one laughs at you for dancing no one thinks you're strange or anything it's just kind of the norm you know you mm. just express mm. and I feel like as, as Indian people <laughs> there mm. are you know there's times when we're not very good at expressing but there are times where we are just wow. expressed with our whole bodies oh I, I love it feel, yeah, yeah. Mm. so it's like it's <laughs> I use this word and it's visceral, like it's in your cells. Yeah. You feel yeah. it. It's like right there. I love it's that. Yeah. 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 And that sense of belonging because community is so important, isn't it? It's a huge mm-hmm. resilience factor. And you said too, your cultural community, that was a huge, that was a big resilience factor for you. So, yeah. so I guess this, like, this would be what I mean by, by the mm-hmm. cultural community, but also like the, that was also like my religious community and the maybe spirituality as well. But Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think about up until a few years ago, really just turned my back on it all because Mm -hmm. I guess in my head that was when my trauma happened. And so when I'd finally started unpacking it and slowed down and started working through it, I just left it behind me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But it's been interesting because now like recognizing how, good it was for me I'm able to kind of create my own which is nice. really nice uh, <laughs> so is it maybe it's more personal in that way so you kind of you went through the process of you didn't you kind of turned your back you said on on yeah. relig- on spirituality is that right yeah spirituality my religion my culture yeah okay yeah yeah and uh, then yeah go ahead. and then you've kind of is it like picking up the pieces and choosing which ones that are important for you yeah yeah so I think because I spent so long hiding from it or running away from it mm. um I was I was looking for a lot of things externally to really meet those needs right. um and it was only a couple of years ago I think maybe a year and a half even of actually having this moment of realizing that these things that I'm seeking externally have always been inside me. Um, But, you know, of Mm. course there's a lot of wounds there and there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And I actually get to choose the parts that I want to carry with me Mm. and let go of the things that I don't want. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. (laughs) And that's, that's kind of that post-traumatic growth is the, the two concepts aren't the same and they're often used synonymously, but they're not. Mm-hmm. So resilience mm-hmm. is kind of like the shield, you know, that kind of protects us from yeah. more of the negative effects that could happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having these things that you continued with and that you could keep putting one foot in front of the other and you just got on with, you know, yeah. that in a way could be considered as the resilience. And then the post-traumatic growth is beautiful. And it just makes me think of what you just said. 
it's when the wounded, so resilience and post-traumatic growth, they happen, they can happen concurrently. So at the same time, and this is what I'm going to read here, as the wounded becomes the healer, as resilience processes may support people to also find meaning along their healing journey after, after and during experiencing trauma. Mm. Yeah. So it's like what you said, like you needed to, or you did, you turned your back on your religion and even your culture. And then you said you had, you needed to look internally. And it sounds like there was a lot of internal healing that happened. What does it say here? It's the positive cognitive growth that people experience because of undergoing trauma or the adaptive cognitive coping responses. I think of it as much softer than that. It's look, it's going inside. Mm -hmm. It's feeling scared, looking at our wounds and, and kind of soothing them with Mm -hmm. our own balm, you know, with the healing balm from, from our bodies. I think it's much more beautiful than those words, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah. And actually, as you were telling me that, um, something that was really kind of coming to the front of my mind was, I think, a big resilience strategy I used myself without even realizing until now is that coming from the culture I come from, seeing the pain that the women have experienced and the fact that no one talks about it, it is silence. And so I guess for me, it was just this big thing, because I guess I've, I've, I've always kind of been the one to stick my neck out first. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of the black sheep. Um, You're a leader. You're going to go first and, and, and try. I don't, I don't know if I'd say leader. Oh, okay, yeah. It's not necessarily that I want people to follow me. I just want people to know that this mm. thing happens mm. and it's out there so that, you know, just I just want to break the silence and silence Mm. yeah and so like a big Mm. part of I can't even remember how many years ago it was it might have been three or so years ago um I actually just went on Facebook and Instagram and I wrote my story and I shared it and I pushed it pushed it out and then the amount of women that I had grown up with that I had spent so much time with in my life we had all gone through similar things and no one knew. We spent wow. our whole childhoods going through this in silence. And no one knew because there is such huge shame around it in yes. our culture. It just mm. kind of became this thing of like, well, I told my parents, I told my sister, mm. they really had my back and it was hard. And I'm, I'm sure they would have experienced a lot of guilt um, mm. and mm. You know, it would have been hard, but like they really had my back. So I guess the story I was telling myself was that I'm I'm quite lucky to have the support of my my family and my partner. So mm. so that just kind of sets me up for like, well, I have to be the one, you know, breaking the silence and talking to people about this, making it, you know, making our community understand that this actually happens. Mm. Um, because I think as soon as I shared the story, that huge sense of wow. shame that I was feeling just dissipated. Wow. And I felt, I felt so free because it was all of a sudden, here was my biggest shame that I'd ever experienced. And I was shoving it down and I was trying my best that no one would ever find out about it. And then I went, you know what? Screw wow. this. Here it is. This wow. happened. And what? And 
you know, just hearing, just getting the support of other women who'd also experienced that, I guess, further, you know, solidified my resolve of like, this is why we need to be having these mm-hmm. conversations. This mm-hmm. is why we need to speak, be speaking up about it because there are too many people that we know who have experienced this. And to be honest, I'm not prepared to have this carry on to my children and their children. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That's and right. I know that that's where a big part of what I talked about earlier in my culture of how we do it for our children. Right. You know, I became a step parent and then all of a sudden it was like, well, I need to deal with this stuff. I need to, I need to grow. I need to heal. I need to make changes in my community because I'm not leaving this for the next generation to be just like this. Wow. That's amazing. That's, and, and it's so true, isn't it? It's like, this stops now, this stops. Yeah. And I feel scared sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you talked previously about the vulnerability hangover and how, you know, it's hard to do this. <laughs> and it's really important. It's really important because it lurks in the shadows and yeah. that's where it breeds. And that's a, not a very nice analogy, but it really does. It's, yeah. And the cycle continues. And so was that the first time that you spoke up about that? People know this or? No, that was critical for me. Yeah, that was actually hugely terrifying. Um, The the first time I did train, because I must have been 13 or 14, and I remember having all these dreams, and then it was like something had unlocked, and all of a sudden I had all these memories from when I was a kid. But I remember, like, I had tried to tell my cousin about it at the time, but she didn't really know what to do with it, Mm -hmm. and I think I wasn't ready to do it. So then it went back down for another, oh god, like three or four years until the the abuse happened in my teens. And then again, it went back down until it was ready to come out. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it must have been about four years ago, maybe. Yeah, on Facebook and Instagram, that was the first time. Wow. (laughs) It was terrifying. Yeah, it would have been terrifying. (laughs) So the the responses were pretty, like, what was that like for you? That's pretty amazing in itself. So you kind of, wow. I think how this went was I shared it. Yeah. I put down my phone and I went, oh my God, I'm going to be sick. What have I done? (laughs) And then I I think I was sick actually. And then I sat outside and I went, oh my God, I've done it. I put it out there. So now I don't have to worry about people finding out because Mm -hmm. I've told them. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the worst that can happen now? Um, I love that. Yeah. And... So, yeah, it was just a really strange feeling, but I remember Mm. just, like, feeling so free because Mm. it felt like I could breathe again because I don't, I don't know about your experience, but, like, my experience, especially being raised in this culture and being a minority and trying to prove that I am Kiwi, Mm. um, I just had, I just lived so many secret lives. I, you know, I had like the good Indian version. I had the Kiwi version. I had the the rebel. I had the goody two shoes at school. There were just, you know, so many fragments of my sense of self and identity. Right. Um, and I really feel like in that moment after I'd kind of shared my deepest, darkest secret, it was kind of like, you know what? I'm owning who I am. I'm owning what's happened to me. No, 
I'm owning what was done to me. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and this is who I choose to be now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, what was it? Oh, nothing. It'll come to me. It was this. Oh, it's okay. The truth will set you free. But there's another layer that I just recently heard, and I can't remember what it is. But it's that it sounds like you felt intensely relieved and freed because you used your voice and you you were able to just go. It's it's like it's almost like you could have said it to yourself, but that's not the same thing. But yeah. getting it and and letting other people know what's happened yeah. in a safe space, it's almost like we need that push. We need mm -hmm. to be able to push put put our words onto these people. And to, mm -hmm. for people to hear our truth, it's a, it's a funny, it's, you know, it's exactly that. Like, I think it was just this deep part of me that was just earning to be witnessed. Witnessed. I like that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, I need you to see me. I yeah. need you to hear my story. And, Absolutely. and, and maybe part of that being internal and, and, you know, that you were kind of seeing yourself inside and being able to go, this is me. This is this is genuinely me. Like being able to be seen. Wow, witnessed. I really like that word. That's a really good word. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was wow. hands down the biggest thing I've done in my life, but also the scariest. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and it opened up. So. It, it's a big part of your journey, isn't it? It's a, was it a pivotal moment, I guess, in, in, on your, on your road, if that's okay to use that metaphor. Yeah, totally. Um, it, it really was right. because that was, you know, the responses from that and it didn't matter which culture you belong to. Um, a lot of it were Indian women, but you know, just the amount of women who reached out to me and said, wow, I had no idea me too um wow. that just you know it just further solidified my resolve to be like right we need to do this work and I think that was a big I think being able to hold that space for those people who reached out to me and realized this was bigger than just myself mm. um really pushed me on this whole 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 I guess it pushed me into counseling it pushed yeah. me into wanting to do research on this area and um, mm -hmm. wanting to kind of help survivors um, and, and do advocacy and stuff because mm -hmm. I guess I, I, I think something that really really stands out to me is that you know the Indian woman that I've spoken to either they had never never told anyone in their lives before or hadn't realized that what had happened to them was wrong Wow. And so by me speaking out, they kind of went, oh, hang on. Mm. Yeah, that's not okay. Oh, crap. Okay. And then reached out. And then it was kind of like this, this, I guess, this little period of shifts of people going, oh, my God, we spent our lives like this. And, and because a big part of it is also parents would say, like, yeah, sexual abuse just happens. You just deal with it. You know, it was just something that. Wow. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, that was like, 
almost the norm in a way was that it it absolutely is the norm it was the norm it was yeah yeah and wow and it sounds like education because you said that as well education is a huge resilience factor and your nana or your yep 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 your nanny pushed you your nanny yep Yep. pushed you into making sure that you were educated yeah so we when my wow. family lived in Fiji, um, my mum's dad, so my my nana, my granddad, he passed away when she was younger, or in her in her teens, I think. And my nani, she was really pushed to marry off the two daughters because they were quite dark skinned, and who would marry them, and blah blah blah. Um, and my nani was a total badass, and she said, "No, my daughters are not going to get married. They are." they're going to study first. And that, that really came from my Nana having to stop, you know, leave school at a young age because, you know, not being able to afford it and stuff. So she really pushed my mum and, and my mum's sister to really study. And that's what they did. And so then, she put, Yeah. So she put her foot down in a way and said, you know, my granddaughters are going to study just like you're saying, this is not the norm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so my mum and her sister, they're also both well educated. um, And I guess that kind of just got pushed down to, so that was just the norm for us as well, because mum was like, yeah, you know, we we study. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And also, actually, funnily enough, my dad he had this rule. So as, as Indians, we, we talk a lot about marriage and, you know, getting married from day one kind of thing. Um, but my dad always had this rule that if he ever heard anyone talking about marriage, about my sister or I, he would just become so like, it was a no go. He did not, he did not accept marriage talk about his daughters. His rule was that, you know, you, you finish your education, you get a job, you're financially de- independent, and then marry whoever you want to. But wow, those are the things that. that come first. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, and dad, I think dad was quite, quite different. Sort of a feminist. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Um, so, yeah, I guess I was just kind of raised with that being the norm for dad and then mum just smashing it and studying and then being like cool well this is just see that's what I mean of like this is just what we do this is what we do (laughs) yeah 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 and when it's not what we do and if we don't like what we do it sounds like you put your foot down and you shined you you shone a light in that area and you were like this is not what we do (laughs) yeah true yes this is what we do but there are you know there are some rules Mm. Hmm. Up until now, some rules haven't been followed. And so now it's time to change that. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. And, and also, so a couple more things. Your partner. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that a bit? So, because that is a common theme, um, yeah. actually. Yeah. And, yeah. So um, relationships and even sex has been... Um, forms of resilience Mm. yeah or is or are yeah so this was this is really strange for me Mm. um because I was not looking down looking to settle down when I met him um I had kind of just come out of a really emotionally abusive relationship Mm. um 
but I think my partner might just be the most authentic, genuine person I have ever met in my wow. life. Wow. Um, by that, I mean he's a really mouthy Kiwi. <laughs> he's a what? A mouthy? Yeah, he's really mouthy. Like, he, <laughs> he can just, he, he talks a lot of shit, but he also owns it. Yeah. And so, so for me, coming from a quite conservative culture and everything he would just say these things that were not okay he would say things that weren't the norm but probably should have been and so he would call a lot of things out Um, and I really noticed like when I you know when we'd go to my parents um and you know you know there's a lot of things that we do so like mum might be doing her self-sacrificing things of trying to run around everyone and you know my partner would just come along and be like just just make her stop or call her out on it and be like do you realize that you're doing this instead of actually sitting down with us and so to have someone who comes into my family and just questions things and pushes things I think but at the same time no one got upset about it because he was just 100% genuinely being himself mm-hmm. and and it so, sounds like it was coming from a good place too yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. and so yeah learning that like hang on you can be 100% yourself and the world still likes you oh my <laughs> god <laughs> what the <laughs> yeah exactly wow, wow. Like, that's empowering was, yeah he was really that. helpful for me because like when I would go to my parents house especially mm-hmm. I would go into old habits of you know old ways of being in my family mm-hmm. and he would or, you know, I'd be about to say something, but my family's quite loud, so I'd get spoken over, and then I'd just decide to just keep my mouth shut. And then he would ask me, he'd be like, oh, babe, what were you going to say? And just really made sure I was heard and seen in the moment. Aww. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, don't get me wrong, the mouthiness, you know, it, we have a lot of challenges and lots of growth. <laughs> It was exactly what I needed because he really challenged me, I guess, on these beliefs and these ideas of that I held that I didn't even realize I held of who I was supposed to be. Mm, mm. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, because I was so used to hiding. So I'm like I was I hid so much of my life from my parents. I hid so much of my life from my friends. I was used to just hiding and hiding. Mm. And so along came this person who just treated me the same way whether I was with my friends or whether I was with my family wow. and it really helped me bridge mm. who I was because all of a sudden I was owning up to telling my mum all these bad things I guess I had done mm. and you know they were in the past so right. I'm still here I'm alive I'm okay so mum yeah. what's you know what's really what can we do about it mm. um so yeah I think that was really 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 powerful for me to Mm. to actually be authentic and 100% genuine with my family and my friends Mm. yeah yeah so integrated so that bridge kind of pulling all your pieces together because you talked about those fragments so it sounds like he was a really good model in a way like he he was a good role model for you in that way yeah yeah I like it Mm. yeah Mm. yeah Yeah. Like we, 
we started living together and my in-laws live downstairs in the same property and kind of just watching them function as a family (laughs) Um, and seeing how you know he is authentic and knows he belongs because of how he was raised and then just being a part of that and I guess I know I've read I've read about this in research as well but like sometimes it's like we needed to be taken away from our culture to an, into another culture to realize, oh, these things that have happened to me that are kind of the norm actually aren't okay. Mm. Oh, crap. Mm. And, I feel, and I feel like that's where I started, you know, I, I felt safe enough to start exploring and uncovering and peeling back the layers. And that's probably when I started therapy as well. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And you said that, you said that you, you got to choose your culture now. So you've been able to pick yeah. pieces that work for you. And yeah. and you also talked about therapy. That's a really good bridge. Because I was going to ask you, what are the, you know, what are the, what have you done to help yourself on your healing journey and Brené Brown? Because you put a really good quote about Brené Brown. Yes. So are you okay to talk a little bit about that? Uh, about what you've done on your healing totally. journey? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so it must have been about five years ago um, and I was in therapy because um, there's actually something called sensitive claims mm-hmm. uh, um, and yeah so I was getting counseling through that and my therapist actually recommended Brene Brown and her her TED talks mm-hmm. um, to which I kind of ummed and ahed for a little while and then I finally got around to watching it And that was a huge moment for me because I would say I was really at rock bottom when I watched her video. And, you know, I I can't remember exactly, but I do remember when she said her quote, um, is it all right if I read out the quote? Of course. Yes, please. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst if he fails at least fails while daring greatly wow holy holy yeah wow and that wow and you know just like it did for Brene Brown who was Mm. my absolute goddess she that the same thing happened to me because I just had this moment because I'd just been so numb and you know I I to get by and to, to, to be here at that time, or be there at that time, sorry, I really just rep- repressed all these negative emotions and I would feel the good things, but I wouldn't feel the bad things or I'd mm. try and shove them down or I didn't have the words for them. Mm. And so I guess I'd just kind of gotten in the habit of numbing <laughs> and reading that, well, hearing that quote, sorry, it made me realise that the whole point of being human, the whole point of being here is to be in the arena. It's to be, 
to be getting our ass handed to us. It's to be, you know, feeling the good things and the bad things and the mm. full spectrum of human emotion. That. That, that's part of being human. Yes. Um, and I just, love that. Mm. And realizing that by being too afraid to let myself feel something, I wasn't allowing myself to feel anything. That was really where my shift happened. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. That's huge. That's huge. It's huge. <laughs> and it's, it's she's she's amazing. And it sounds like we're, you know, we're in the arena. We're already in the arena. We are, you know, doing these things and going, you know, doing putting one foot in front of the other. Keep on going. You're in the arena. And we're warrioresses in our own right. Yes. Aren't we? Yes, totally. And we don't even know it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, are we, or it's like, we're not, maybe we just haven't had enough narrative around what we actually are doing. Yeah. Like the fact that we are here on earth is Mm -hmm. massive. (laughs) It really is. It really is. It's powerful. And I love that quote. I think, and you said you were robbing yourself of your own life and that, and that Brené Brown was a huge shift for you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, like I couldn't pinpoint it any better than sitting on the floor of my lounge that night and just having everything shift. (laughs) Holy. Wow. It's a pivotal moment, eh? It, it really, really is. <laughs> powerful, powerful moment too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, you know, when you were looking, when you were a little girl playing this music and looking at your family, that must have been a pivotal moment too. Just seeing, wow, you know, and then, and then this, this is, and you were feeling like rock bottom, you said. Yeah, it mm-hmm. really was my rock bottom. And mm-hmm. rock bottom as well as just having... Mm-hmm so many parts of myself mm. that I wasn't a whole right you know, yeah I, I really do feel like I was I was a shell back yeah. then yeah. and that was you know before I'd integrated all the different parts of my life before I realized that I was worthy and mm. before I realized that actually there's nobody else like me that's right and, you know my mm. all, all my quirks and all my things actually mm. make me who I am absolutely it's like claiming, claiming I get to choose when I give my virginity away and mm-hmm. I'm going to claim myself back. Thank you very yeah. much. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> I love it. I think, I think the question you asked me was, well, what are the things that I've mm. used on my journey? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely the big pivotal moment for me um but I do feel like I have tried so many things Mm. um you know whether that's that's therapy or you know I've tried uh craniosacral therapy which is really really lovely for my body um and I guess medication um dancing looking at pelvic health physio uh, working with pelvic health physios um because you know all the chronic pain and everything that comes with unresolved trauma in your body um yeah so so I feel like it's it's been 
see again you don't stop and look back <laughs> but these five years have been freaking intense. Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. I was reading this and I was like, holy crap. Yeah. Wow. Look at yeah. all this. It's amazing. On a mission. <laughs> I love it. And what would you say to the listeners? So some just words of wisdom to impart on our I like to call it I like to call this a sacred healing circle mm-hmm. that we're all part of. In yeah. your own way. And and what would you say to other people on their healing journal, journey mm-hmm. from yeah. your heart? Mm. And I'm going to say something that I'm actually only just learning for myself now. And I always turned my nose up at forgiveness and self-compassion. It was something that was so hard for me to do for myself and actually in just the last few weeks itself, I have learned just how powerful forgiveness and compassion is for myself. And so I think what I would tell other listeners is don't blame yourself Mm. for the things that you had to do to keep yourself alive Mm. and to the things that got you here today, because like we said, they, that that was resilience. That was your that was your your way of coping, so that you could survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think actually looking back and saying thank you for you know finding all these creative ways of keeping me here today, mm-hmm. but also showing yourself compassion to go. We're not we're not there anymore. We can actually feel and grieve and rage and vent about the feelings that we probably haven't let ourselves feel. And then we can kind of commit to putting ourselves first and really checking in with what's going on inside us and actually treating ourselves like we are our best friends. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah. forgiveness, letting go, and when when it's right or if it's right for people in their own way, mm-hmm. and compassion, and not blaming ourselves, you know, because we have tried our best. Yeah. It doesn't, um, we do the best we can, and when we know better, we do better. Yeah. Maya mm-hmm. Angelou, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a pretty powerful woman, she yeah. was. Mm. I love it. Thank you so much. You're very brave. And what would you say, what would you say in terms of counselors? What do you think some good advice or suggestions for counselors in terms of working with people who have experienced childhood sexual abuse? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I just round that up in in like a little summary, but I will try. resonated with me for us by us yeah it's kopapamodi isn't it for us by us yeah it doesn't mean that people can't support us but we really need to take the ring here this arena and we need to own this this is Mm -hmm. our space we know what's best for us yeah absolutely I I genuinely don't know I think 
<laughs> I think I think a big thing would be like my own experience of counselling, while as powerful as it has been, has been very deficit focused. Mm-hmm. That's um, a great point right there. Yeah. That um, right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the fact that I hadn't really looked at my own resilience until mm-hmm. I filled out your form. Mm, wow. Huge. Those are some pretty big deals there. That's that's massive. Yeah. <laughs> and you said that you hadn't looked at this before and we don't. Yeah. And so I think actually being wow. strength based and mm. because even talking to you just now, it's made me realize how bloody strong I actually am. You're, and, you are. Mm-hmm. But you know, this isn't the norm. This isn't how the everyday conversations happen. This isn't how, I mean, I don't, I don't know how other counselors, you know, think, but you know, I I think it just makes me a bit sad to think that other survivors would have gone through this, never realizing how strong they are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And just like Maya Angelou, and it's not to blame. And there is a time and a place if people want to, it's really up to our clients, isn't it? It's up to us mm-hmm. if we want to go there. And if that's part of our healing journey, and that's, that's okay. We can go there. And there's so many strengths. This I'm going to do a podcast on my research paper. It's mm-hmm. just paper and paper and paper and paper after all these things that are, you know, negative effects of childhood sexual abuse. And I love how you said, and what? And what? You know? I love that. I love that. Drop the mic. And what? You know? That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And, and what? And, and what? what? Probably. Here we go. Another resilient strategy. <laughs> because I say it all the time. Yeah. And what? And what? <laughs> I love it. Oh, well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And thank you. You are my first guest. You, it has been an absolute honor to have you here. And I really appreciate everything. Thank you so much for opening up and sharing, you know, your story. This is, this is, this is a huge part of your story, you know, and it isn't, it's what, it isn't what is wrong. It's what is strong. That's what we need to hold on to. This is who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It's been, I think I just want to take the time to thank you for allowing me to kind of bring in the cultural aspects Mm -hmm. and really talk about what it was like for me growing up as a survivor of sexual abuse and as an Indian woman. I think it is, yeah. So I just really want to thank you Mm -hmm. for, yeah. Thank you for having me. Of course. (laughs) Of course, all of you. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, you're gorgeous. Thank you so much. Kia ora. Welcome to Voices of Resilience Radio. This is Voices of Resilience Radio. I hope you found this truly inspiring and uplifting, and that you've gained some gems along the way of your healing journey. Remember to be gentle on yourself and go well. For more episodes just like this, please remember to subscribe on rss.com, Spotify, or from my website at chrissygelmer.com. 
I'd love to receive your feedback, suggestions, and you can provide this also on my website. If you'd like to be on the show, please fill out my Be My Guest web form also on my website. Keep shining your gorgeous light.